1: Welcome to episode 448 of Divorce on a Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and while I am alone for this one, I certainly don't feel alone after that all-important one-nothing win in El Clasico. So, as I said on the podcast last week, before the league schedule even came out, I was scheduled to be getting on a plane in a few hours from now. So, a few hours from now, don't plan on sleeping. I think after our Clasico, I probably won't be able to do anyway. And while this is still true that I am getting on a plane, I don't have time to have a guest right now. I purposely avoided talking tactics in the five headlines so we could hit those at the top here before I give you the headlines audio. And while the tactics don't feel as important when there is so much emotion after a stoppage time winner, I still feel like the choices of the managers is what decided the game and why Xavi again got it right and Ancelotti now for a third straight out classico got it wrong. Because just like recent El Clasico's, including that preseason match, which wound up being the only preseason game that truly actually mattered for for anything of what Xavi's ideas were what he was trying to do this year, this game, like those, also became a game of outlets out wide. And Barca won that battle for, I'd say, about 60 of the 90 minutes while winning the midfield battle for about 75 of the 90 minutes. Real Madrid play better in positions of power when they're on the front foot. We know that. And when I say in power, I mean... In Europe, even though when they have their backs against the wall, it still feels like, again, in Europe, in the Champions League, they are always going to feel like they're in a position of power because they win that trophy more than everybody else. So again, in Spain, in the Liga or Copa del Rey, it's a bit different because they don't own those competitions the way they do in the Champions League. So I said, when they're in positions of power, they do play better. And that first Barca goal certainly changed everything. You know, I know that momentum and feelings, I do tend to downplay them. But momentum was so significant with Barcelona at home with the stakes of this match. Even though it made the game just 1-1 because Barcelona only needed a draw here, that's why it was so important. And that was also the time, too. After that was scored, I got to think about a at halftime. Yeah, I broke down that goal. But I was asking from the Ancelotti and Real Madrid perspective here, where was Valverde? Where was Carvajal? And where was Modric and Cruz? Like, Where were they affecting this game? And I don't know why Ancelotti ever went with Kamavinga at left-back, or should I say why he never went with Kamavinga at left-back. Madrid consistently failed to get overloads in Barca's final third. And that may have been a remedy for it, because they were not getting anything through the middle through Modric and Cruz, And Kamavinga was maybe, yeah, the only one pushing forward from the midfield, you could expect. And Modric had his moments, but he was perfectly shut down by Busquets, and particularly De Jong. And even when he went out wide... Gabi would just track him all over the place. And speaking of, Barca did. I mean, this is what Xavi, I think, got right as well. He did trust the defensive duties of Rafinha. And I say defensive duties of Rafinha because Rafinha was out dribble, which I'll get to in a second, by two other guys. But Rafinha defensively was really important to helping out Araujo. It wasn't just Araujo te on Vinny Jr. And Gabi's positional discipline, once again, Xavi trusts very much like when Pedri's there with him. He trusts Gabi and Pedri to get it right. And a lot of times, even if they don't have the final ball, or in the case of the El Clasico that Barcelona won in the Spanish Super Cup when Gabi kind of went nuts and was the best player on the field, Xavi does trust Gabi in big matches like this to keep himself in check and to get things right. So coupled with Araujo and Balde playing where they're supposed to play, that being Araujo inside to outside while tracking Vinny Jr., and Balde high and wide to pinback Valverde and Cabajal, Barcelona seemed positionally disciplined to take advantage of spots that Real Madrid weren't ready for. And certainly one of the big changes from that Copa del Rey first leg is that Gabi was coming inside quite a lot, and he was almost always supported through the middle by De Young and Busquets. He was being asked to get in between the lines in build-up, and he did that sometimes, but didn't seem to be the ball from one of the holding midfields, to Gabi, that Barca was interested in. It wasn't those De Young to Gabi, or Busquets, to Gabi trying to run in those half spaces. Instead, it was the numerical overloads once Rafinha and Balde came inside. So Rafinha and Balde weren't really expected to go 1v1 against Cavajal or Nacho, which I think is what Ancelotti kind of anticipated to say, hey, if those two guys stand up, the two, we'll say, wingers in that 3-2-5 attacking formation that Barcelona utilizes, if you could go one for one Nacho, Rafinha, which it did feel at times like it was the case, then we're golden. Same thing with Cavajal, Balde on the other side. But because those two were cutting inside, the numerical overload in the midfield did allow Gabi to have some really well-timed runs off of those dribble moves. And once that created some chaos, that's where Barcelona's best chances came from. And again, it was also very helpful that de Jong and Busquets were so disciplined in pinning that press forward and keeping Real Madrid largely in this game inside their own half of the field. Because once they got that first ball back, it's not that Madrid were able to geggin press or counter the counter press, if you will. Because Barca dribbled past Madrid 18 times to Madrid dribbling past them eight. Gabi, de Jong, and Busquets both contributed three apiece. And where these dribbles took place is that it was getting one move where De Jong Busquets would throw a little fake in, and they were able to get by Modric and Cruz. And so for all the times that Barcelona the last few years, has said, oh, they're too old, and yeah, Busquets, he's too old, and it looks like he's renewing. Roberto, he's in his 30s, he's renewing. Alonso in his 30s and renewing. Yes, on the day, it looked like Real Madrid was the old team. And one of the only guys that Barcelona does have in their prime in De Jong, well, he was sensational. I said some of the numbers in the headlines, but let me give you all of them here. He had 100 touches in the game, missed five passes, he was 77 of 82, he was one for one of his long balls, two for three of his crosses, he had 11 passes in the final third, he had five chances created in the match, which is the most of anybody. He had one shot, three of three on his dribbles, three tackles in the game, which is the most of any player, he had one clearance, one headed clearance, two interceptions, he was eight of nine on his duels, he had 10 ball recoveries, that's double-digit ball recoveries, that does not happen often in the season. He was dribbled past all of zero times. He committed zero fouls, and he won two on his own. That's why, as much as I would love to say that Sergio Berto, because he scored the first goal that did change that match, was the man of the match, I have to use the numbers, and I have to use my head more than my heart, and say that Frankie de was, to me, maybe not unequivocally, because, again, there was a lot of players that had important and impactful performances today, but to me, Frankie de from the first whistle to the last whistle, was essential to Barcelona being the better team in this game. And I think this is finally, finally to say, Frank De Jong had the performance that you would want him to have against Real Madrid. So with those numbers down, you say goodbye to Podcast Stan and hello to YouTube or Five Headlines Dan. I'll talk to you guys on the other side of this where I have just a little bit more.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
2: Go to your happy price, Priceline.
1: Our second of three El Clásicos in a month, and I can tell you, with this one, it's over. La Liga, it's over, and that feels pretty good to say because how many El Clásicos of late have Kool-Aid's been able to say that with? Twelve points at this point. Yes, I know, mathematically it's possible. We should all be all doom and gloom, but I don't believe in any jinxes like that. Twelve points is way too much for Real Madrid to come back from. And this was a pretty fitting way for Barcelona to win their 100th El Clasico in their history. Yes, both sides had plenty of excuses. There was no Pedri, no Dembele, no David Alabot on the other side. But while both teams did have their excuses, on the field at least, I didn't see any excuses taking place. That's all stuff we're going to talk about. And thankfully, unlike the Copa del Rey 1st leg game, where Barcelona gave up so much of the possession at the Santiago Bernabeu, I don't feel like I'm going to have to make many excuses for Barcelona either after the performance they put in at the Spotify Camp No. So let's do it. Here are the five headlines from Barcelona's 2-1 victory over Real Madrid. Well, actually, before we do that, it'd be a big help if you could subscribe to the channel, maybe even give this video a like, and maybe even a share. This is just the kind of match that I'm hoping gets Kool-Aid's who may have checked out after Europe, back into the fold and back excited about the team. And we're sitting through that little PSA there. I hope you've subscribed. There's your other chance there. Well, now it's time to get really into it, the five headlines from Barcelona's win over Real Madrid. One is El Clasico's standards. There was a time, yeah I'm old enough to remember, when both of these teams sat atop the world, and El Clasico truly felt like a toss-up of the two great giants in the world. There did feel like a time when everything was even, when there were stars, star managers, and every game felt like it was gonna lead to another team taking a trophy from the other. And while both these teams were dominating the rest of the world, the only team they seemed to be unable to dominate was each other. But then, of course, Kool-Aid sat through, and you've seen it for the match reviews that I've been doing for the last few years, when Barcelona have felt like they were a step behind Real Madrid in all aspects of the games, in trophies, even in the boardroom. It just felt like Barcelona were lacking. But for this game, even though there are mixed reports, of course, podcast host Levon was saying that he felt like he was one of the more quieter pregame atmospheres that he had ever seen, and yet there are others that saying that there was fanfare like they had never seen before. In Catalonia. Yet, regardless of the pre-game atmosphere, no mosaic as well for the first time in 31 years, which does feel a bit odd. On. But once that opening whistle blew, it did feel like both these teams were willing to completely get up for a game that really mattered to both sides. Within the first three minutes of action, both the number nines put a shot on target. And I think that's all we needed for this game to go off to the races and fit what I'd like to say has been lacking recently, and that is El Clasico standards for El Clasico. I do think being at home mattered for Barca, and maybe that early Benzema chance woke Barca up, because instead of ruining the chances that Barca didn't finish, we get to look at them with that glass half-full and consider just how many times Barca troubled Courtois. There was the early Lewandowski chance, Roberto's high shot, Christensen's header, Christensen's backheel, Rafinha's long shot, Rafinha's second half-bouncing chance in the second half, and Lewandowski also had a run in behind in the second that really could have ended with a little bit of luck in a goal. And headline two, speaking of luck, is almost unlucky. This is one of those matches in the ninth minute when Barca go down, and you could have felt like even in the Spotify Camp Nou with all those fans cheering for any bit of luck that they could squeeze out of this team and Xavi's side, it may not have been their day. Because that first goal is a ton of luck for Real Madrid, which makes those Carl Ancelotti comments, you can check those out, pretty puzzling in the postgame where he felt like they deserved to win. Well, I don't know about this own goal here. A little bit of luck, but maybe a little bit of an error on Barcelona's side as well. Roberto, Busquets, and Araujo maybe got their wires crossed, but Busquets kept up with Vinny Jr., I thought, rather well. If Araujo doesn't head it, Tercekin may have a play on it, and maybe Benzema doesn't finish that. Roberto probably should have shifted over when Vinny Jr. came behind, but I don't know if he stops that cross from getting off either and slides fast enough to deal with Vinny Jr., who had already turned his hips. To get towards the goal line in a way that roberto would have had to go over his left shoulder and turn his hips that way i don't think he catches him at all and i think that happens either way and not to underplay that goal at all but it was also barcelona's first open play goal conceded at home this season we're all the way in march and the season started in august and that really is the reason more than this 90 minutes or 90 100 minutes whatever 99 minutes or whatever their defensive record especially at home against all the Liga competition is why Barcelona were leading the Liga going into this match and why they most likely will win the title again that's why 12 points is not about Real Madrid it's actually about Barcelona this time around which again feels pretty good to say there are also moments where I think both teams had some shouts for things happening their way like that questionable nacho tackle on Rafinha near the end of the first half don't forget about that one and to credit Madrid they did make their own luck too I thought Vinny Jr. got the better of Araujo more than their other meetings combined, which, again, is not necessarily an insult to Araujo, but Vinny Jr. did feel pretty up to this match when the opening whistle blew. Yet, I also will say that Araujo hurt him down the right, too, with Araujo getting forward and forcing Vinny Jr. to do something he doesn't do, which is defend. They both ended the game with two successful dribbles, so, I mean, I guess, I don't know, you tell me who won that one. And then Kunde, who got one foot wrong all night, but it almost led to a goal in the second half and certainly could have changed the way we talked about him in this game. And then Gabi, too, probably should have gotten a yellow in the second half when he pulled down a Madrid player behind the play. And all those things are just so you know what Madridistas will probably be talking about after this match. So there are moments where Barcelona were culpable, but they were also able to survive it. And none greater than the Asensio offside goal, of course. A complete breakdown on the left side for Barcelona, and they were just too late in tracking back on that side. Barcelona were pressing hard. Kessi was going forward, probably a bit too much because of how gassed Rafinha was, and there was a miscommunication there. It's, it's tough, too, because you know that Kessie was given these instructions. Get forward, press hard, and do that work right before Rafinha was going to come out for Ferran Torres. But before that sub was made, maybe Xavi should have subbed them off at the same time. But before that sub was made, that right side breaks down because Kessie is too forward and Madrid too easily broke through that press. Then Araujo tried to pinch on the sideline, and that brought Rodrigo coming inside, and eventually the ball gets to Asensio, and he finishes well. But His shoulder, just the shoulder, and you can see it. The line, straight line, the shoulder is off sides. Again, that call, that image is going to be seen everywhere and debated across all of Spanish television for the next week, certainly. Three is only in El Clasico. I wanted to get those Real Madrid goals out of the way because I really do think it is time to talk about the man of the match sergio roberto i'm not sure if he's my man of the match that so might be frankie young you have to listen to the podcast about that one but yeah at least for sergio roberto he was given to it by pretty much every other outlet for that goal that he scored the goal that defined this game it happened in the 45th minute oh wait there was another goal that happened in even farther stoppage time at the end of a half but yeah sergio roberto got the man of the match and i want to talk about the build-up too here Kunde did really well against benzema and that was a running theme all night long but that was one time where he brought the ball up himself on that right side Araujo tucked into cover. Again, it's the end of that first half, so I think Vini Jr. was starting to get a bit of tired legs and didn't want to go forward with Araujo anymore, so Koundé was able to step into that space with the ball, and then Barca kept possession in Madrid's half. That's what you do when the legs of the opposition get tired. Even though Madrid had their chances and they had a 1-0 lead, Barcelona still had plenty of possession and plenty of control and opportunities in that half, and so they were still on the front foot at that moment. Gabi finds Lewandowski in behind after the ball was switched to the left. And then Rafinha whiffs on the first look, but things work out for Barcelona a little bit of luck. Araujo puts the cross back in. Rafinha's shot was blocked. falls right to Sergio Roberto. Who else? Of course, Sergio Roberto controls it and scores it confidently. His first El Clásico goal in 30-plus chances. And everyone said it, too. With the exception of Roberto in for Kessy, the starting lineup was perfect. And you know what? When the game ended, I mean, maybe they were still right about that. But Roberto getting this goal, you know, it's this weird thing. I don't find him at this point, of course, because I deal with every match. I deal with the wage structure. I deal with the last five years. So you can't get me on that romance of Sergio Roberto thing. I went on that podcast, The Ripple Effect, to talk about his goal against PSG just two weeks ago. And this is another one of those moments. I turned to the people I was watching the game with and I said, who else? Of course, it's Sergio Roberto coming up in a moment right after he renewed again for another season. You can't get him out of his life because he's a captain and he scores goals like this. And that is all he really does for FC Barcelona. But you know what? They're going to take home the Liga Trophy and you're going to remember this goal. Four is Barça to lose. Regardless of what Madrid and Ancelotti want to say after this match, unlike the Copa del Rey first leg where that was Real Madrid's match to lose, I mean, somehow they didn't get a shot on goal. We know that, of course, I said that. But still, Real Madrid should have been the team on the front foot in that game. But Barcelona at home were the team on the front foot in this match. And once that 1-1 happened, even though the second half was back and forth, the offside goal happens. it still did feel like Barca's game to lose, like so many other matches so far in the Liga this season. And that doesn't mean that Barcelona didn't play with fire, though. They were playing with fire around the 48th to 56th minute, somewhere around there, with Madrid having possession for large bouts of time in Barcelona's half of the field. Fortunately, in other previous seasons and other versions of El Clasico, Barcelona did have an answer. I thought they countered really well with some pressure of their own right after the sustained pressure from Madrid. And you could tell how much Lewandowski wanted a goal in this match and how he knew that it was there for him for the taking. He didn't get one, but I was much more inspired by Lewandowski's performance today than maybe I've been with exception of one or two other games since the World Cup break. I thought that's how much Lewandowski was important and significant in this match to take away the attention of Militao and Rudiger enough for other players to do what they have to do. Again, for the tactics about this game, that's going to be on the podcast, which will be out in a few hours. It's just going to be me flying solo, but if you want that extra stuff, go to wherever you find your podcast. I talk about all the tactics of this match in that version of it. Well, what is this discussion of the match? And while people will go on Lewandowski missing that side volley at the back post in the second half, Again, that moment winds up not mattering because of how the game ends, and even then, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think it was as easy of a chance as people were saying. On the other side of the field, speaking of Barca to lose, the Raho-Vinny Jr. matchup was the one that everybody talked about beforehand, I think everyone will be talking about this week, and I know only kool will really be talking about Christensen. I think this is the match, and this is the week, I should say, because of the international break, where I would hope the world, after having watched this match, begins to talk about just how important Christensen has been. Now, I don't watch enough of everybody else to tell you who the most important signings have been but a free transfer signing yeah i know kessie was a free transfer signing as well when he scored the winning goal but a free transfer signing that winds up helping you win the liga by potentially 10 points or more so that means that a team who's going to win one of the major domestic league titles signed a free agent and he was an essential part in winning that title that is definitely one of the best signings that any team made this offseason that is andres christensen for the second straight classical, and I am talking about that first, like, Copa del Rey match, Christensen held Benzema to be largely ineffective throughout the entire match. He's a reigning Ballon d'Or winner, and you barely heard a sniff out of him. Yes, he was combining play, but as far as when he was in Barcelona's box, Christensen or Kunde handed him off perfectly. It was very much like the communication I spoke about in that first leg of the Copa del Rey. I thought Barcelona's backline were magnificent dealing with Benzema. And his huge block, that being Christensen's, in the 86th minute, that's what felt like at least a draw had been secured at that point. And right in front of them, Busquets and De Jong as well did their jobs better than Cruz and Modric did. And as I've said a thousand times, when Barcelona win the midfield battle, they had the better chance to win the match. And we overuse terms like the Barca way to say things we can't explain, but having the better midfield and getting the better result is certainly somewhere in there. De young barely, barely put a foot wrong. He had 100 touches in this match, 77 of 82 on his passes, 10 ball recoveries, won eight of his nine duels, committed zero fouls, fouled twice, did not get dribbled past even a single time, and had three tackles more than anybody else, in that match also three for three perfect on his dribbles de young was sensational in this match and okay yeah maybe i did kind of give it away here Jong's probably actually my man of the match and five is king kessie now let me read you the note that i had before kessie scores that goal and after Ferran torres and kessie had come in the game and before Fati had come in even though Ferran torres came on barca are basically winning the league with 15 players at the moment you can sense it when madrid made the five changes and they all added something different to the game while Kessie and Torres just ran around while their tired teammates limped to the finish line. So that was a note that I wrote right before the game really busted open, and that was also right after the Asensio offside goal winds up not counting, but it felt like something had happened in that game, and so I wrote it down. Yeah, I'm glad there are times when there are notes that I should have deleted because I got it wrong, but, you know, I did in the moment think that Xavi got it wrong. But it all works out for Kessie on the game-winning goal. Now, the game was wide open. Lewandowski's back heel pass, though, frees up Balde. And I would mentioned Lewandowski, as frustrating since the World Cup break it has been for him, I thought he was much better in this match, so much more significant. And again, it all started in basically, what, the third or fourth minute when he unloads that long shot. Then Balde, of course, cuts it back to Kessie, who finishes with no doubt. And I think, to speak of Balde first, the pundits outside of Barcelona starting to say it. If Balde gets better as his crossing and his final ball, he can be truly elite at the left-back position, or actually across all positions. And what do I always say about fullbacks? It is almost impossible to be considered an elite fullback. Look at João Cancelo. Just 12 months ago, for Man City, is he the best fullback in the world? Since that time, he's basically fallen out of favor at both Man City and Bayern Munich on loan. And so who are those elite fullbacks? Is it who who is a backup at Man City, here in the starting spot, goes to Arsenal, now we're talking about him? Not to say it's easy, but it's actually hard to be considered an elite fullback because it's hard to stay consistent at the level at that position because it's so essential in modern football. So for Balday, yeah, if he gets the crossing and final ball, as I just said, it seems just as easy to fall back down the stairs as it does to go up them. So Balday can certainly get up those stairs in the next one or two years depending on that final ball. But what I will say is that big moment for the elite cutback right to the foot for Kessie for the goal that is certainly a play that the world just watched that's going to be considered when you're talking about how good ball day is. And the last note about that goal, and actually the first one too, it is crazy to think that the two midfielders who scored the two goals for Barcelona in this game were those guys that would probably have not have started this game if Pedri was fit. So to sum it all up, Barcelona needed a win or a draw. That was necessary, but they got the win. They took care of business. And this might be an essential victory too. I know you say that Barcelona have to get over the hump in Europe, and I agree with that. Because in Europe, over the last few seasons, I was here too, every must-win game has ended in a loss. And I don't know how many times, I think that 4-0 for Barcelona last year over Real Madrid and El Clasico was maybe the last match that really, truly felt must-win, 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 and Barcelona got a result in it. But even then, Real Madrid still wound up winning La Liga. Like That was about Barcelona being able to affirm their space in the top four, and again, to take care of business for the rest of that season. But this one, This one could have got him a trophy, and I know they don't get the trophy tomorrow, they still have to take care of business, and as I just contradicted myself, a lot of the other results over the course of a whole season are what set you up for success in the Liga more than just one El Clasico. But, Real Madrid wind up winning the Liga sometimes on the back of El Clasico, and I feel like today, Barcelona did just that. This game was teetering on the edge, and as they've done all season in Spain though, Barcelona still hung on, and that's why this could really be a monumental win. As for me, as I did warn on last week's podcast, I am heading out for a few days. So if you want more of this match, while I don't have a guest this week, there's going to be plenty of tactics talk coming out with these five headlines in audio format. So get that wherever you get your podcasts. And this week, while I will physically be away from this desk I'm sitting at now, I won't be away from your ears and your eyes because I do have something on Sergio Busquets that has already been well-researched and already edited and all that stuff so that it's ready to go as well as a former Barcelona goal scorer that does have a little story about El Clasico in it, and that is Kini. So we've got all that coming up through the international break, which, as I said, you know, it's weird with momentum, this kind of breaking off, but I hope those good vibes can continue on through the international break, because I think this FC Barcelona team, and Kool-Aids, for all the suffering they've done recently, have certainly earned it. So I may not always mean it completely, but I really, truly mean it this time. As always, until next time, I'll see you soon, and Forza Barca. So Podcast Dan, back again. I just wanted to bring up the exact quotes, really interesting comments from Ancelotti post-game. More sour grapes than I think we're used to with him. Usually I think he does that, you know, whatever he's saying. It's not bad, it's not good, it's generally neutral to negative, and he kind of always has his team's back while just saying, hey, we were hard done by and we're sad. I think Xavi has similar press conferences from that perspective. But today I think he kind of went in where, I don't know if it was completely justified. He said, today we can't have any doubts about the match we played. We honestly didn't deserve the defeat. I don't know really in the World Cup the offsides were very clear and here I am left with doubt of course he's talking about the Asensio offside but they took a long time on that if you can't trust VAR after that length of time and I mean for it to be overturned it had to be clear and obvious and the shoulder was clearly looking at that line ahead of where Koundé's arm was so that was offside they called it off I think he sees it again you know of course he won't admit that he was wrong here but it was clearly offside and as I broke down with these tactics I think Ancelotti got beat on that touchline by Xavi, which is not something I always say for Xavi. But if Xavi continues to beat those guys like Ancelotti, again, his reputation will certainly get better and better. Well, let's take that into Europe. But for now, let's head into the international break. I want to thank you so much for being with me up to this point. So let's finish the season strong. Again, it is a domestic treble. Spanish Super Cup, Copa del Rey, and La Liga that is still all up for grabs with one of those already secured for the Barcelona Infinity Gauntlet. Okay, well, there's only three, but all right, I've lost the plot here. Time for me to get on a plane. <laughs> Maybe I'll get them sleep, but do look out this week. As I mentioned, those five headlines for some other content and some exciting stuff that's also planned for after the international break as well. So for now, again, Twitter, Instagram, at the post-hacer group, Patreon, YouTube, you know where all that stuff is. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon before Sabar's Side.